Our scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It'll be on the screen uh, behind me, or you can look it up in your Bibles. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been, excuse me, been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will be shepherd with my, my people of Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had, been, that had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Brennan Lutz. I'm one of the pastors here. My main role here is student ministry director. Thank you for being here this morning on the first Sunday of the year. And thank you for watching on the live stream and listening to, uh, listening to it through the app later today. Uh, we've been going through a very strange time. And we are grateful that you have chosen to, to spend, spend this time worshiping with us. As Jonathan uh, said in the beginning, today is Epiphany Sunday. And so for this week, we're going we're gonna to just spend some time focusing on Epiphany and what it meant and how God was inviting the nations to him and drawing the nations to him. And then next Sunday, we're going to look at the baptism of Jesus, just two um, just days on our Christian calendar that we're going to take and just focus on. Uh, epiphany, it may be new to many of us. It isn't a common word. It isn't a common event that the church today recognizes. So what is Epiphany and why is it significant in the Christian calendar? On January 6, 12 days after Christmas, we celebrate Epiphany. The word comes from the Greek word that means to manifest or to make, or to make known or to show. And this date is to remember and to celebrate the visit of the wise men, the, the day that, that God chose to show that I am bringing the world to me. So for Epiphany, we're celebrating that God showed himself in the person of Jesus to the Gentiles, to the nations. God's plan all along was to invite all the nations into his kingdom. His gospel is good news for all people, even the least likely of candidates, as we can see throughout the Bible, and as we'll see in just a moment as we look at the wise men. The good news is that the king of kings has the ability to reach into the hearts of all people, all people everywhere across the globe and lead us to God's heart. Now the danger for many of us, the danger for many of us, including myself, is that we respond to the King of Kings, we often respond to Jesus in all the wrong ways. Somewhat of a spoiler alert, but when you look at our text, how does Herod respond to the birth of the King? How do the chief priests and the scribes respond to the birth of the King? 
Herod, Herod gets angry to the point that later in chapter 2 of Matthew, he's going to, he excuse me, will read that all the two-year-old boys and younger in Bethlehem are murdered. That's how angry he gets about hearing about Jesus the king. The priests and the scribes are so apathetic. They're so, there's a nothingness in them when they hear about the king of kings, Jesus being born, even though they have the scriptures pointing them to the king the whole time. The guys are supposed to know that Jesus is coming, where he's going to be. They don't even care. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I hate being told what to do. Maybe I think probably started when I was like two or three. My parents were trying to tell me what to do. I don't like the idea of authorities over me. I want to do things my way regardless of who's over me. doesn't matter what setting, what role. I don't like falling in line with the majority I can remember back in high school uh, when Linkin Park and Jack Johnson and all these popular artists were, were popular. I would refuse to like them just because everyone else did. For you, if, if you're an Enneagram lover, uh, I have mixed feelings. Sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't. Uh, but I believe I'm an eight. At least that's what my mom tells me. My mom. My wife, Rachel, who is not my mom. <laughs> Christmas. Christmas. So some of you are thinking, all right, he's, he's an eight, he's a challenger. Some of you who don't know me, you're thinking, man, what's wrong with this guy? For those of you who do know me well, you're thinking, yep, this is Brandon. This is just a glimpse of his broken and messed upness. So then I think about my approach to Christmas and the other Christian days like Easter, and far too often I find my heart apathetic, lukewarm, to these days that should be full of joy, that should be full of worship and awe and wonder. Where have I gone wrong? Where have I forgotten and at times lost the joy, the excitement, the awe, the wonder of the King of Kings who left his throne in heaven next to God the Father Almighty in order to redeem and rescue a broken mess like me? Why does that truth alone not wreck my heart day in and day out and cause me to live in a state of constant worship? What pulls you away from responding to the king in a manner that he and he alone is worthy of? Where do you find yourself resistant or angry, maybe even hostile to proclaiming Jesus king of kings in your heart? Where do you find yourself apathetic, lukewarm, maybe even numb to the gospel of the king? The beauty of this passage and the response of the wise men is that we get to see the proper response to the king. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. There was a great joy, a joy that was more powerful than any earthly joy. A joy that led to a humble state of worship and only giving of the best we have to offer. And the reason that this joyful response is the proper response is because Jesus is a king unlike any earthly king. When Jesus was born, it wasn't in a palace. It wasn't in a house. It was in a manger. The family he was born into wasn't royalty, but a poor young carpenter. When Jesus makes his humble entrance into the city of Jerusalem as king of the Jews, what did he do? He wept. Other kings come riding into town with a grand display of might and power with their massive army leading them. This king 
King Jesus sees his people, he sees you and me, and he weeps because his heart is so full and heavy over us. When Jesus is your king, there is a proper response. If you look around the church in our day and age, this doesn't seem to be the overwhelming response. How is our church responding to King Jesus? How are you responding? Do you know the king? Is Jesus really your king? How has your life been changed, and what is different about your life living under his kingship, living in his kingdom? So as we approach this passage, may the Holy Spirit be at work to increase our joy. Would he enliven and resuscitate the joy in us that only comes from making our dead hearts alive? Let's see how God is going to go to work in us and through us, through his word and through his spirit. So point number one, seeking. Who is seeking the king? As we look in our text, we read that wise men from the east are the ones seeking the king of the Jews. Now contrary to many of our cute little nativity scenes in the song, We Three Kings, these were wise men, not kings. We don't know how many of them there were, but they probably weren't three of them. Many scholars think that there was a lot of them. A lot of wise men came to visit the king of the Jews. We get the number three probably from the gifts, the three gifts that were given. It's not a big deal, but it's just not maybe historically accurate. They didn't arrive until after the birth, They weren't there when the shepherds were there. They didn't arrive until after the birth, as we see that they came to a house, not a manger. Also, these wise men were also called magi. They were astrologers, magicians, interpreters of dreams. We see in the book of Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar had these types of men as part of his royal council council, and went to them in order to understand things such as his dreams. So while they were a part of the elite thinkers and wisdom of their day, It was a worldly wisdom. It was an earthly wisdom that they had, not a heavenly wisdom. Throughout the Bible, these types of individuals were always given a a negative connotation. They were not looked at fondly throughout the scriptures. Yet here we have Matthew writing about them in a very positive way. So it's fascinating that God is using the pagan astronomy and astrology readers to make known that Jesus is the king of kings. It's fascinating but it's not surprising. Throughout the Bible, God uses the people that the world would not have chosen in order to bring his kingdom. If you remember, I think it was Jeff's sermon about a month ago when we looked at the genealogy of Jesus, it is basically the island of misfit toys. It's basically the the kids who get picked last for pickup football, for the dodgeball game, whatever it might be. This is how God has chosen to proclaim the birth of his son here on earth. This is who is seeking the king. But who isn't seeking the king? Who isn't seeking Jesus? Picture this. King Herod and his royal court, their entourage, they're sitting in his palace. King Herod is made aware well before they get into his palace that there's a bunch of wise men, a bunch of magi from the east who are here with gifts looking for the king. What do you think his response is? Well, of course, let them in. Bring them right in. must have been his response, possibly thinking, they got, to be bring, they got to be here to bring me gifts. That prideful high may have, had, may have had only Ken crashing down when these men entered and said, we're looking for the king and we're here to worship him. And by implication, they're saying, you're not him. You're not here who we're here to worship and give gifts to. So if you're Herod in this moment, how would you be feeling? 
angry, threatened, insulted, belittled. I think those would have been some of the emotions I would be feeling. In elementary school, I was one of the smartest kids in my grade all through those years. I was in the gifted program, as they called it back then, in the chess club, got to the point where I was really good at chess, where I beat my chess teacher one day in fourth grade, and he was not happy. Um, I was a great student, probably the teacher's pet, which is not a good thing, but probably the teacher's pet throughout the years at Gulfgate Elementary School in Sarasota, Florida. And at, at the end of fifth grade, they have this award for best fifth grade boy, best fifth grade girl. And they do this, they give this award at graduation for fifth graders. I remember, which my memory could be way off on this, because uh, it was a very long time ago, but I remember my teacher telling me, I think you're going to get this award. My classmates and friends, I think you're going to get this award, um, but it's not guaranteed. You probably know where this is going at this point. The principal starts listing all of the accolades of the young man who's going to, young boy, who's going to get this award. Saying all these things, I'm, in my head, I'm like, yep, that's me, yep, that's me, yep, that's me. And then the principal said, and he is a great basketball player. So I paused. So, I don't play basketball. I was not short back then, like I am now, but I knew that I didn't play basketball. So sure enough, he called another boy's name, Kevin. I, I know his last name. I won't say it because this is online. He might hear this one day. Probably not. But Kevin P. And as I heard his name called, I felt so just deflated. In fifth grade, I felt so deflated and crushed. I remember my teacher being sad and apologizing to me that I didn't receive this award. I don't remember how I responded too much after that, but I remember sulking in my seat in that cafeteria. Because I thought that I was going to get this prestigious award, and I didn't. Maybe this is one of the reasons why I hate high school superlatives. Probably is. But going back to the text, we get to see how Herod responded. The text tells us that he was troubled. And that he pulled in all of his priests and scribes to let, know, let him know where they could find this king that the wise men were looking for. They quickly tell Herod, Bethlehem. In Micah 5, the prophet tells us that in a small town of Bethlehem is where the ruler, the shepherd of Israel, shall come from. They have had the answer all along, but what is so fascinating is that it isn't the religious scribes and priests who have the scriptures and the answers that are concerned with the birthplace of the king. Who's concerned about it? Rather, it's the pagan astrologers who seem to be more interested in this. Ray Cortez, a pastor in Lecanto, Florida, he pointed out that even when Herod and his religious elite rediscovered Bethlehem as the birth location, they still don't go. They still don't go with the wise men to meet their king. If this is their king, then why don't they take off their sandals, lift up their cloaks, robes, whatever it is, and literally start running to Bethlehem, which is about five miles away. If you don't think you need a king then you won't recognize him and bow down to him. If you don't think that you need a shepherd to guide you to the right pastures and protect you from the wolves, then you won't listen to his voice. If you don't think you are sick, then you have no need of a physician. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Far too often I find myself getting stuck 
in the busyness just around the holidays, whether it's Christmas or Easter, that I can easily lose touch with the significance of what we're actually celebrating, what we're actually worshiping in Jesus on our Christian calendar. And why do I do this? Because I've forgotten who I am apart from my king. I've forgotten that I am an heir, a prince in his kingdom. I've forgotten that without him, I'm a dumb sheep lost in the wilderness. I've forgotten that I am blind, that I am the lame, that I am the cripple. It is these people throughout Jesus' ministry who are so eager just to be in the same presence with him, just to get a glimpse of him, just to, to touch the bottom of his cloak without him even noticing Where has this awe, this desire, this understanding of who we are and who he is, where has it gone? Where has our sense of seeking after the king gone? King Herod, I think, understands that if Jesus is the true king, then what does that mean for him? He isn't. King Herod, I think, understands that. And the same is true for us. We don't like kings. We don't like authorities because they remind us and confront us with the reality that we are not king. So for us, a heart check question is this. Where do you find yourself against the king of kings? Where do you find yourself not seeking his reign and his kingdom? What areas of your life and heart are challenging to submit to his kingship and his kingdom? Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Seek the things that are above. Seek the kingdom of God. We have seen those who were seeking the king as well as those who were not seeking the king. Which leads us to the next part where the wise men find the king. So for many of us, we have created this picture-perfect vision of this massive glorious, glowing star above the stable where Jesus was born. But when we look at our text, the star that the wise men use as their guide only got them to Jerusalem at first. It doesn't lead them directly to the house until later, but before we look at how they got to the house, why did these pagans follow a star in the first place? They didn't have the scriptures. Why did they follow the star in the first place? According to history documents, when Julius Caesar was being buried, there was a supernova in the sky. This led many to believe for quite some time that when there was some kind of spectacular cosmic event, like a supernova, in the sky, then that must have been that a king must have been born or a king died. So for those in the astrology business, these kinds of things are what kept your wallets full. So when there's a bright star in the sky, you go running. This is your job. And so that is what they did. They followed the star and arrived at a palace in Jerusalem, But King Herod was not a baby or a toddler or young in any way, and he was still alive. So he's not who they were looking for. The wise men know and believe there is a king that has been born, but without the word of God, they don't know who or where to find this king. We cannot find God with our own wisdom and understanding. We cannot find him. He has to find us. He has to lead us and guide us to himself. Romans 1 tells us that we can behold creation of the world, the creation of the world and all the things that have been made, and we can find that there is an eternal power, a divine nature that exists and is at work. In the Reformed world, we call this general revelation. Just being able to look and behold creation and say, wow, there has to be a creator to this. 
This couldn't have just happened. But this isn't enough to draw and to bow our hearts to King Jesus. We need a special revelation that only comes through God's holy word and the work of the Holy Spirit to enlighten us. The wise men had to go to the scriptures to lead them to Bethlehem and ultimately to King Jesus. Without the scriptures, Jesus would have probably never been found by the wise men because Bethlehem would have been the last little community in all of Judea for them to seek. So God uses his holy and inspired word to lead us and to guide us. It is his word and the Holy Spirit's work that have called Wade and Ali Savant to Prague, as well as the Ellswicks to Nicaragua and now Panama. It is his word and the Holy Spirit that calls us to join in making his kingdom terrain here on earth as it does in heaven. When one of our children or students professes their faith in Christ, it is because the Holy Spirit has used the scriptures, the good news of Jesus, the good news of King Jesus, what he is, what he has done to bring these little ones to the king. His word, his spirit. So if you're a Christian here this morning or viewing from our live stream, does this humble you? Does this truth alone cause your heart to bow down? It wasn't your intellect, wasn't your intelligence, wasn't your good looks, your business savvy, wasn't your goodness, your morality that brought you to God, that allowed you to find God. Rather, he has gone after you. And he has found you wandering lost in the wilderness, and he has brought you home. If you're a non-Christian here this morning, I have something that I would ask of you. Would you be willing to read the Gospel of Matthew or one of the other four Gospels on your own sometime? But before you do that, before you do that, please know I'm not trying to trick you. Would you know that you're going to come face to face with King Jesus? And if you experience who he is, what he claims, then you can, you can only respond in a few different ways. Which leads us to the last point this morning, responding. Verses 10 through 11. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. The wise men responded by rejoicing exceedingly with great joy, and they worshipped this young child. Tim Keller points out that throughout the scriptures, many who believed did so after a sermon or a miracle or a healing or something along those lines. Yet these men see a young child and they worship him. This is the scriptures and the Holy Spirit at work. While it was a customary when visiting a king or royalty in this day to bring gifts, it was never expected that you bow down and worship whatever king you're going and visiting. This king the wise men had been led to was different from any earthly king they had ever encountered or heard of. Their response was very different from King Herod. We get glimpses from it in the scriptures, but Herod was known as being a very violent leader. He, in fact, murdered many of those closest to him, including his family, to ensure that he would remain on the throne for as long as possible. I mentioned this earlier, but in Matthew 2, 16 through 18, read that Herod in his furious anger kills all of the male children in Bethlehem ages two and under to ensure that the potential threat to his throne would be removed. Murdered about 30 babies and toddlers. The wickedness and the sin of man still could not stop God's plan even when Jesus was so young and helpless. It would be easy for us to stop there only comparing and contrasting the wise men responding and Herod responding. 
But there is one other response we must consider in this text, and that is those of the chief priests and the scribes. These are the religious elite, those who know the scriptures, those who have a greater knowledge than any other of who God is, what he has done, his ways, everything about God. And how do they respond to all of this? They don't do anything. They don't go with the wise men in worship. They don't get angry with Herod. There's just this apathetic approach to what the scriptures are leading them to. There is no joy. There is no anger. There is just this, this nothingness. And this, it is this nothingness type of response, this carefree, apathetic response that seems to be way too common among Christians today, at least in our culture. I mean, at least Herod had a response as he reckoned with Jesus and his claim to the throne. These religious elite didn't even care. So what is going on with them? Why don't they care? Why don't they have some kind of response other than apathy? What have they forgotten, perhaps? Let me turn these questions towards us, especially if you're like me and too easily have a lack of joy and worship and excitement over King Jesus and his claims. Why don't you care? Why are you apathetic to Jesus, his claims, and how that then affects us? What have we forgotten? We have let culture and earthly desires and the brokenness within us rob us and bewitch us. We have made the manger scene this quaint, quiet, cute little scene with all these unrealistic thoughts as to how that all went down. But even more significant is we have forgotten why Jesus came. Why did Jesus have to be born in the first place? As a prophet wrote centuries before Jesus, we shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it's one of my favorite Christmas songs. But the first verse tells us why Jesus came to earth. To ransom captive Israel and lead us out of exile. Jesus' very name in Hebrew means bringer of the Lord's salvation. Do you want to have the same kind of response that the wise men had? then don't focus on the manger scene, but look and behold the cross. He wore a crown of thorns. His throne was a cross. There was no entourage of family and friends, only loneliness. And there was no star in the sky, only darkness. That was the ransom price for us, the captives under Satan's tyranny. Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. These wise men couldn't but rejoice in worship. They couldn't help. That was the only response that their hearts led them to. They were full of joy, and that was on the other side of the cross that we are on. And we see evidence of their worship being genuine because they gave their new king the very best they had to offer. It is these very best gifts that many theologians, theologians believe allowed Jesus' family to survive for the two years that they were hiding. They also revealed their allegiance to their new king by not going back to King Herod. They went home by a different way. So are you giving King Jesus your best gifts in this life? Or is he getting that lame white elephant gift that you've been waiting to get rid of since your wedding? And even as I say that, don't forget the order of the response of the wise men. They worshipped, they adored, and were filled with joy first 
through the scriptures and the work of the Holy Spirit. Giving their best and changing their ultimate allegiance to King Jesus came after this. They literally couldn't help themselves but respond to the joy set before them by their king in this way. So what is your response when you seek and find the king? What does your heart do when you consider Jesus as the king of kings? If it is something other than the wise man's response, then I encourage you and I challenge you to not fixate on the cute, adorable manger that we typically fixate on at Christmas. Rather, in your heart, rather in, in your mind, deconstruct the wood that made this manger and remake it into a cross. Behold the cross. Behold the King of Kings for who he is, what he has done for you, and for the nations. Then and only then, you can have the same experience and joy and adoration that the wise men had. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, uh, there are so many of us uh, here this morning, just different stories, different parts of life, different journeys of faith. And so, Father, for those of us who are not seeking you, for those of us listening or here today who are not seeking you, I, I pray that you would move in these people, that you would move in their hearts to see that there is something missing. There is something about them that is lost, and they can't find it. They can't find it on their own. Father, they need you to find them. Father, for those of us who are seeking, Father, we've been, we've been seeking, we've been searching for, for something that we can't, can't, can't quite pinpoint what it is. Father, would you draw these people to you? Would you find them wandering and searching in the wilderness? Father, for those of us who have found Jesus and, and hate his claim to the throne, Father, would you move, move in us and make us realize that we are not king, that, that you are the king that we need, not the king that we want, but you are the king that we need so desperately. We need you on the throne. We need your kingdom. Father, for so many of us uh, in the church, we fall prey to just being apathetic and lukewarm to your kingdom. Father, would you just move in our hearts in such a way, in such a way that there is a, a rejuvenated joy, an excitement, an awe, an adoration, a wonder of who you are and what you have done. Not just that you came and you were born and you came to be with us, but what you came to do. That you came to seek and to find and to save the lost. Father, for all of us, would you continue to lead us out of exile that our own sin within and without have created. Give us this joy that only comes from knowing you as King of kings and Lord of lords. Again, creating us all a sense of awe and wonder and adoration, a heart that loves to bow down and give you our full allegiance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We call uh, Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, and so long ago Jesus came to be with us, and it's easy for us to forget that, that he is still with us through the work of the Spirit. He's still, if you're a Christian, he is at work, alive, inside of you. And so we're not waiting alone. And that's what this benediction promises us, that as we wait for God's kingdom to come here to earth, as God invites us into that work with him, he is with us still as we wait. So please receive the Lord's blessing and benediction over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.